You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. 2020 was an extraordinary year. 2021 has been interesting, to say the least, but not quite as spectacular as 2020. But a couple of themes have developed at the end of this year that might become enduring in 2022, notably yet another iteration of the coronavirus. In this case, it's called Omricon. And also the differing ways that two of the world's largest economies, in fact, the first and second largest economies in the world, are approaching fiscal and monetary strategy. With me now to discuss this and perhaps other matters is the co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in London, and that's Philip Saunders. Can we get Omricon out the way first, please, uh, Philip, because I'm hearing differing views on this one, but it really does lead into policy measures for the future. Sure. I mean, like it or not, we are on a sort of trajectory to moving from pandemic to endemic. And so therefore, you know, the sort of willingness to, I mean, we've just locked down again in the UK, but, you know, it's a semi-lockdown. But I think there is fatigue. And unless any new mutation, you know, is actually killing people and putting people, an excessive number of people in hospitals, then I think the general support for more extended lockdowns just isn't there. So we've got to learn to finally learn to live with COVID in any of its forms, pretty much. What we've heard so far is that um, it's highly contagious, but the sort of effects are relatively mild, but it's really too early to be sort of definitive about that. It's clearly beginning to rip through Europe as well as Southern Africa. So the sort of it's the genie's out of the bottle on that one, and it will cause some disruption. Uh, but by and large, I think, you know, we're in that learning to live with it. And it may well be fortuitous in the sense that if it drives up Delta, uh, it's a milder form, uh, then, you know, the sort of trajectory is to go from here to it being yet another strain of flu, basically. Yes, we mustn't put ourselves forward as virus or vaccination experts, but let's talk about something a little bit more important. And the authorities will be looking very closely at the latest variant and also potential future variants. And scientists will be working furiously for a number of years, I would have thought. But let's have a look at the monetary policy of the US Federal Reserve and the stimulus policy of the US Federal Reserve, because in a subtle way, or maybe not so subtle way, they are tweaking it. And the tweak may become a little bit more painful than it has been already. In other words, withdrawing a little bit of liquidity from the system. Yes, I mean, I think that at the moment it's slower provision of liquidity. And, you know, there is a general assumption that central banks will sort of yet again put off doing anything until they understand the potential impact of the latest strain. It doesn't look as if the Fed is on that particular path at the moment. The Fed now recognises that, uh, you know, the transitory word has been dumped. We've got an FOMC meeting next week. And the Fed looks now to be intent on having been behind the curve, you know, beginning to sort of catch up. And so this means that they're likely to look through Omicron and speed up QE so they can get it done by maybe the end of March. Uh, And that then frees them up to choose when to raise official interest rates. So that means that we're going from $120 billion a month of QE down to zero. And that's going to remove a significant buyer, obviously, you know, the major buyer of you in the U.S. Treasury market. And that means that interest rates, you know, will have to presumably adapt to that. 
so so I think the Fed is basically finally having been very dovish as, you know, turning hawkish. Uh, it means they're taking their sort of inflation fighting credibility seriously. And that's a significant change. And that's going to, I think markets are in the process of trying to come to terms with that. The yield curve's flattened. And, and I think there's a realization that, that we're now entering a, a different monetary regime. Now, there's plenty of liquidity still sloshing around in the system. Yes. You know, banks are under lent. Um, uh, individuals, you know, have a lot of cash. Corporates have a lot of cash. Uh, and so the U.S. economy, you know, it's fueled up and ready to go. And so therefore, you know, we expect the U.S. economy to continue. It's not going to be as strong as it was during the sort of reflationary boom, but it's, it has the potential to grow materially above trend for the next several years. Yes, it really does look like it. Every time there's any sort of dip in economic data, it, it normally bounces back. It's become a little bit volatile, particularly the jobs market, the unemployment rate, etc. But the trend is definitely there. And don't forget, the I mean, people mustn't forget, rather, that when they see these jobs numbers, it's not as if they were 11%, 12% unemployment rate. We're now down at, uh, I think, something like 42 43 So all the increments... Uh, to the downside are going to be much less dramatic but nonetheless but jobs are being created all the time just want to pick you up on something you sent me a note this morning it says the fed's priority is now getting ahead of the curve and i think you mentioned it in the previous answer is the implication that they have been behind the curve and they're playing catch up yes absolutely and and they compared to previous occasions they've been incredibly slow to actually change policy so they continued to inject $120 billion a month into markets. And obviously, we've been running, you know, very negative, you know, even more negative real interest rate policies, you know, because obviously inflation has been picking up and uh, um, rates have been sort of on the floor. But they recognize they've got a challenge at the moment. And, you know, they want, they don't want to, uh, inflation expectations to become unanchored. And I think it's going to be pretty tough over the next quarter or so but then I think that inflation, you know, headline inflation rates could come off more sharply than people expect, which will then put them in a sort of somewhat better position. So it's, you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a volatile ride. Yes, it will be. But as long as the market participants are flagged in a responsible manner before any event, they're not just going to wake up on January the 4th or something and the Fed has raised while they've been uh, nursing a New Year hangover. It is going to be done responsibly. I will say that they're very good at communicating. What about China? China, I think it was on Monday morning, European time, they came out with a new stimulus package, which seemed to be well received by the markets. Yes, I mean, you know, China, are, you know, the powers of being China are also good at signalling. Um, and, you know, they're pretty explicit about, you know, their policy stance doesn't mean it's unchanging. And there has been a significant change recently in the sense that uh, uh, they, you know, in the past, they talked about irresponsible monetary policy, you know, and the sort of unwillingness to engage in sort of excessive stimulation implication being that the West basically has been sort of somewhat irresponsible. Uh, and China, of course, has been irresponsible in the past. You know, it's overreacted in terms of, you know, to sort of bolster growth on different occasions. This time around, you know, the debate's been, you know, generally the consensus view has been that uh, the powers of being China are going to play it tough this time. And they're going to be grudging in terms of loosening policy. Um, as they deal with things like the property market, um, which, which, you know, obviously we've discussed before. Yes. Um, 
And I think that's the consensus view. I think that they're clearing the decks to support the economy more aggressively than people think. And that's quite interesting because you've got the US going in the other direction, of course, and you've got the Chinese authorities basically recognizing that, you know, it's a difficult business um, dealing with a property bubble. You know, all sorts of unintended things can happen. And I think that they're now ready to come in and pretty aggressively support growth uh, to see them through this difficult period. And we'll see, you know, obviously Evergrande, you know, is being effectively broken up and supported. Uh, and, um, and and I think they've rode back from a number of the initiatives that they announced over the last couple of years. You know, they watered things down. They just had the sixth plenum. You know, they produce a 330,000 word document, mm. um, which if you're short of holiday reading over the Christmas period, you know, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Thanks for um, the tip. But quite, mm. quite, I thought you'd be excited by that. Yes. Um, and, you know, again, it's sort of, you know, this idea that Xi doesn't understand capitalism and private markets, you know, is total nonsense, of course. Uh, and so I think a careful reading of that gives you a pretty good insight in terms of, you know, the lay of the land over the next five years or so. And they're going to be pretty pragmatic and they're going to support growth uh, and they're going to continue to reform. And I suspect that given the divergence in monetary policy, then, you know, the currency is going to weaken somewhat over the course of the next next year. And I think, you know, liquidity support, you know, might make, you know, certainly the uh, Chinese listed equities that have really struggled over the last year against the background of tightening and regulatory change. You know, again, I think there's some bargains there. Obviously, the United States of America and China, number one and number two, when it comes to the size of their economies, are very, very different societies, very, very different economies at very, very different stages of their economic cycles. So when you see one starting to talk about being supportive and actually adding support to their economy because people perceive that growth is going to come down, and this is China, of course, and the other one saying, well, we've done all we can, we're going to gently withdraw the support that has caused this bounce back. Isn't that two worlds colliding? And could it potentially be dangerous for asset classes, certain asset classes? Well, I think that, you know, we've got to understand the interplay between the two big economies. And I think that, generally speaking, I think people pay too much attention to the US and not enough attention to China. And I think we've got to pay heed to both. And they are on divergent paths. So we've got a US boom and we've got China, you know, in a probably extended growth recession. You know, whereas after the global financial crisis, it was Chinese growth that basically was the sort of locomotive, you know, that kept global growth going at a time when Western economies were in this sort of secular, in the grip of secular stagnation. So the US now has a chance to sort of break out of that particular pattern. Um, But China basically is in the process, in a period of adaptation and consolidation. It's dealing with some of the problems of the past. And, you you know, you have got these divergent paths and they're going to be reflected in FX rates. They're going to be reflected in market behavior and so on and so forth. 
This could be the last time that we speak for 2021. Philip, so I want to ask you about another couple of things, and you can tell me to go and jump in the lake if you don't want to talk about it, but I have to bring in geopolitics. China and Taiwan, Russia and the Ukraine are the two things that sort of are outliers when it comes to potential yeah. movers of asset class prices for next year. Yes. So I think on Taiwan, I think the situation there is is not as grave as is generally made out. You know, the US military industrial establishment basically, you know, has has been sort of going out of its way to present China as scary in this context. And actually, if you read this, some there's some key sections in this sixth plenum document mm. that relate to Chinese policy about Taiwan. And yes, they do, you know, ultimately it's their objective to reabsorb Taiwan. You know, that's clearly stated. I think they've watered down the language a bit this time around. But if you look at what's on Xi's agenda, their you know, property bubble, um, this sort of move towards basically to deal with inequality, uh, to deal with a bit more hostile America, he's got a lot in his entree and he doesn't want to rock the boat. So Taiwan, invading Taiwan is very low on the list of priorities at the moment. Short, long-term objective, uh, reabsorption of Taiwan, not necessarily by military means. Um, but in the short term, in, over the course of next year, I think this is a tail risk that we shouldn't get too excited about. Turning to Ukraine, mm. you know, again, you know, that is a tail risk. I think, you know, at the moment really is, you know, is Putin's place in the history books uh, more important to him uh, than having Nord Stream 2 cancelled? So it's, you know, you muck about in Ukraine, territorially and so forth, you invade Ukraine, even with sort of limited short-term objectives, uh, then, um, then Nord Stream 2 is, is not going to happen. And so there are, so, so I think it's a standoff. Um, and so therefore, geopolitical tensions will continue to simmer. But for the moment, we put a relatively low probability on either Taiwan blowing up or indeed Ukraine blowing up. I was going to ask you about your position as co-head of multi-asset growth and if you're shifting your portfolio a little bit here and there. But I think that's a conversation for 2022, uh, Philip. Thank you very sure. much for your time and for your time all year. Philip Saunders is the co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.